Turn with me, in your, if you would, in your Bibles to Esther chapter 3. We're going to go from Esther 3 to Esther chapter 6 in just a moment. Read with me in Esther 3, where we read verses 8 and 9 and then skip down. Esther 3, 8. And Haman said unto King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all thy provinces of thy kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people, neither keep they the king's laws, therefore it is not for the king's profit to suffer them. If it please the king, let it be written that they may, may be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that have the charge of this business to bring it into the king's treasures, treasuries. Verse 13. And the letters were sent by post into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women in one day. Even upon the 13th day of the 12th month, month which is the month Adar, to take, of, to take the spoil of them for a prey. I know that you know the story of Esther, but Esther lived uh, the book of Esther. She and her cousin, it was really more like an uncle that raised her, lived, they were Jews and they lived during the Babylonian captivity, which later become, became the Persian captivity. And King Ahasuerus was the king of Persia. And so the Jewish people had been taken captive. It was a 70 year captivity. And during this period, um, this man Mordecai, who was a, a righteous man and a Jew, and his younger niece, a younger cousin, who ra he raised more like a niece, uh, Esther, was in the, in the kingdom as well. And Satan always has his, his men. God has his men. Satan has his men or people in positions. And he had this man, Haman, to be an accuser of the brethren. He had this man, Haman, to, to serve uh, Satan's purposes. Haman was in King Ahasuerus' court. He was in his cabinet. He was a minister or a servant uh, in his cabinet. And he had gained a lot of uh, authority in recent days and weeks. And he had come to prominence in the kingdom. Haman had... And everybody bowed down to Haman, who was not a Jew. Haman, when he would walk by, but Mordecai knew he was a wicked man. Mordecai didn't bow down to him. Mordecai worshipped the Lord and worshipped the Lord only, even in Persia. Okay? He refused to bow down. This infuriated, this infuriated Haman, so much so that he, he wanted not only to destroy Haman, but, I mean, Mordecai, but all of Mordecai's people. 127 provinces in the, the kingdom of Persia. There were Jewish people scattered all abroad. This was a false accusation. When Haman says to the king, a king, there's some people here that their laws are different than yours. Well, they had laws of Jehovah. That, that is correct. And he said, they don't respect you. They don't keep your laws. I think that's a false accusation. I think probably the Jewish people were probably the best uh, residents of this nation that they had, of this kingdom. And he says, if it please, he didn't give any more details. He didn't tell him it was the Jewish people. And he says, if it please you, king, uh, I'll take care. I'll handle this business for you. You know, uh, I'll take care of them. And 
The king okays it, and they send letters out that on the 13th day of the month, Adar, that every Jewish person in the promise, young and old, women and children, everybody, every Jewish person in one day is going to be killed. And they send the letters out, and they, they hurry it up. They send them out all over the kingdom. And we're going to take all their stuff for a prey, and we'll give it to you, king. We'll give the spoil to you. King, the king wasn't very uh, thoughtful on this. He okays it. He gives the thumbs up. They sign the letters. And Haman's excited because now he's going to get rid of Mordecai and Mordecai's people once and for all. He also built a 70-foot-high gallows upon which to hang Mordecai. had something special in mind for him. Satan always has his people in positions, but God has his in position, okay? And so I want you to turn now to chapter 6. Skip over to Esther chapter 6. Now the king, uh, before, we, before we read this, it's amazing how the Lord... Uh, coordinates things, watches over things. Guess who was the queen at the time when all the Jews are destined to be killed on the 13th day of the month, Adar? A Jewish woman, the king's own wife, Esther, is the queen, right? And it's amazing how the Lord put her in that position of being queen. The king, the king didn't even know her heritage, didn't know her people. Basically, the, he had a queen and a, a wife named Vashti who was queen. And when, when Ahasuerus was having a big banquet and drinking, he wanted to show off the beauty of his wife Vashti to all the people that were there. So he called, hey, send for Vashti and have her come in here. And she refused to do it. And so long story short, he said, what should I do? And his wise men said, pick you another queen. Pick you another queen. And he did. They had this elaborate, you could say, beauty contest. And guess who won the beauty contest? Esther. Esther, the Jewish woman, wins the beauty contest, Mordecai's cousin. And so she's queen, and God has, so Satan has Haman to do his purpose to destroy the Jewish people. God has his people. He had Esther in that position and Mordecai in that, pe in that position. And so listen to this. I just think it's amazing. This is what we're going to talk about today. Esther chapter 6, we're going to read verses 1 through 4. On that night could not the king sleep, and he commanded to bring the book of the records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told, told of Bethana and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door, who sought to lay hand on King Ahasuerus. And the king says, What honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, there's nothing done for him. Well, we're going to stop right there. I just think when I, when I read this and when I think about this, it's amazing. We're just saying you are amazing, God, all-powerful, indescribable. The king couldn't sleep that night. You ever had a night when you couldn't sleep? I have. What are the things you do when you can't sleep? You toss and turn. Maybe you pray. Maybe say, I'm going to go watch the Weather Channel, you know, and eat some popcorn. And I don't know what you do when you can't sleep. I've been there before. But God, God had this orchestrated on that night when all this is about to befall the Jewish people and the clock's ticking. 
God says, this night I'm not going to let the king sleep. That night could not the king sleep. And so what does he do? Well, he doesn't have a TV. He, he says, calls some of his people in there, and he says, read me some of the, the chronicles, the records of the kingdom of Persia. Read me some. And they start reading, and they get to this place in the chronicles, which must have been very recent, that Mordecai the Jew had overheard a plot by two of the king's men that wanted to assassinate him. These two men worked for the king. There was chamberlains. Mordecai gets word of it, and he sends word to the king. The king's life is spared. The two men are dealt with and put or executed. And the king says, huh, I kind of I remember that now, Mordecai did. What, what, what did I give Mordecai? What honor did I give him? You didn't do anything for him. Hmm. God's, God's got things turning, right? He's got the wheels turning. The man can't sleep. Of all things that he did, they read the records of the kingdom. And of all points that they read and places that they read, they read of Mordecai. And maybe for the first time, the light bulb clicks in this king. What, what honor did we ever do for Mordecai? You didn't do anything for him. Okay, that's the end of that discussion. And who's the next morning, who's waiting out in the courtyard but Haman? Haman is going to come in. He's all excited about his plot. And, but God's got things working. From the king's point of view, he says, I just can't sleep tonight. Right? Maybe I ate something that didn't agree with me. Maybe I'm excited about what I'm doing tomorrow. Whatever. He, from the king's point of view, it was just a restless night where he couldn't sleep. From God's point of view, he was orchestrating the deliverance of his people. And I want us to see how our God orchestrates and how he lines up things and he sets things. The king couldn't sleep, so they read these chronicles. And this destruction is planned against, against the people of God, the Jewish people. Don't forget, the Lord has made an eternal covenant with the Jewish people. So whether you like Jewish people or not, whether they're popular or unpopular, and they're pretty much unpopular uh, worldwide, God has made a covenant with them. He made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he said, through, through your seed, Abraham, shall, you're going to have, give birth to many nations that are going to come through you. He says, but one in particular, it's Abraham, and then it continues with Isaac, and it continues with Jacob, who is the patriarch of the 12, tribe, 12 tribes. His name was changed, changed to Israel. So we know that he has an eternal covenant, and through Abraham's seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed. All nations say, well, how am I blessed by that small nation over there across the, in the Middle East over there? Well, I'll tell you the main reason. There's a lot of reasons. Okay, they're the light to the Gentiles. You know, we have the, the word of God given to us through the Jewish people. But most importantly, without question, Jesus Christ came as the Lord and Savior of Israel and the Savior of the world. The Savior was Jewish. He was the of the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Okay? And so we're blessed primarily and particularly through Jesus Christ. That is our tie, you would say, to the nation of Israel and to the Jewish people. Satan has always wanted to destroy and wipe out God's people, especially prior to uh, Christ's first company. If there's no Jewish people, then Jesus can't be born, you know, of a virgin in, in, as, a, as a, a lion of the tribe of Judah. 
as a Jewish person. And so Satan's coming against them, particularly through a man named Haman, who was wicked. He was in the king's court. But our God, Haman thought he was in control. As far as he knew, the, the last hurdle he had to clear was to have the king okay it. The king did agree with it and okayed with it. The calendar set. The, the word has already gone out. And that all the people, Jewish people are going to be killed in one day. But our God, this is what the Lord wants us to know. It's a very simple truth this morning. But our God sits upon his throne in heaven. He sits upon his throne in heaven. He decrees. He wills. He rules. And none can stop him. None can stop him. Haman's not going to stop him. Haman's not going to stop him. The devil is not going to stop him. He rules and he reigns. The Lord told Job when he was setting Job straight for his whining and, and understand, misunderstanding and confusion. He comes to Job at the end of his trial and he was speaking about how I created all things, Job. Where were you? Right? Where were you? I'm, I'm in control. And he says specifically about the oceans and the seas and the waves. We've been lot, watching a lot of the shark week stuff that's going on now, and they're showing the ocean all the time. But the Lord said to the, to the waves, says, who, who are you, Job? Where were you when I created all these things? It kind of puts him in his place, right? It puts us in our place. But he said to the proud waves, Hitherto shalt thou come and no further. And here shall thy proud waves be stayed. God speaks even to waves and say, you're going to come this far up on the shoreline and I'm stopping you right here. So what are we talking about waves for? I'm just making the point that the Lord reigns and the Lord rules. And what our adversary intends for evil, not just the Jewish people, but your adversary and my adversary, what he intends for our destruction, what he intends for your and my downfall, our God is able to bring to nothing. He's able to bring it to zero, nothing. All his big plans and schemes, and he's setting everything in order for your downfall or your destruction. Our God is able to deliver us. And our God is not only able to deliver us, he is able to bring back the judgment and destruction upon our enemies. That they are indeed caught in their own snare and in their own trap. I would say this. He's one step ahead. You know, like you have a, a, a say in, in a, a in military battle. You know, I'm pretty, uh, they've studied, maybe these generals have studied each other in previous wars. And they know this, this is what he's going to do. When he gets to this river, you know, or this, port, he, this forest, he's going to go that way. And I know that. And I'm going to meet it. I'm going to, you know, circle around and meet him there. Or a football coach that says, one step ahead. I know exactly on fourth down and one yard to go. When they go for it, this is the play they're going to run. Right? And they plan. They're a step ahead. Our God is a step ahead. But I was thinking he's not a step ahead. He's eternity ahead. He's not one step ahead of Haman or the wicked or the devil or our enemies. He is, he is eternity ahead. He's in control, and he orchestrates. Anybody in here ever been to a symphony? 
and heard a symphony, okay? I have, and it's really amazing. And that conductor is the main man, that conductor. They have excellent people playing the violins and the cellos and, you know, woodwinds and the, the brass section. And all. he's got hundreds of people up there, possibly, maybe a choir to add in with that. But that all eyes are on that conductor. And this person is proficient in playing a violin and playing this song. But that conductor orchestrates the whole thing and he gets it all lined up to it comes off exactly in time in perfect time just the way it's supposed to. He's in charge of all of that. And our God orchestrates, y'all. He orchestrates. He orchestrates all of creation. He orchestrates all the events of history and life. He orchestrates nature and nations and kingdoms. He orchestrates militaries and battles and governments and regimes and kings. He orchestrates individual lives, yours and mine. He orchestrates specific moments in individual lives, our thoughts. He can use a donkey to fulfill his will. He did it. Just ask Balaam. He can use a donkey to fulfill his will. And he can cause a king not to be able to sleep one night. He can do that. Not only can he do it, do it but he does it. He does it. He's not one step ahead. He's eternity ahead. I want to read this. You know, uh, I wasn't intended to, to read all of these, but I'm going to read a few. Talking about how God orchestrates, and we, he wants us to know that. He wants us to be aware of that. He wants us to have confidence that my God is in control no matter what I see. I say it all the time. I feel like uh, I, I perceive that in the world in which we live, according to the scriptures and according to just living here in the spirit uh, of the world, and the God of this world, that there's like a big noose being set around the church. And when everything's in perfect position, Satan want, thinks he's going to pull it. You know, whether it's business, uh, the economy, government, uh, whatever, militaries, I, I feel like there's a trap being set for Satan, by Satan, specifically for the people of God. Everywhere you turn, well, I used to have our liberty and freedom over here, and that's taken away. I used to have, no, that's taken away. There's little, little signs and big signs, and that Satan has got his people, like Haman, okay? I believe this, set for the destruction specifically of the church for God's people. Not church buildings, and maybe not even preachers that fill the pulpits, but the church of the living God, Okay? And God wants us to know he's bigger than that, and he's in control. I think a lot of people go through life never seeing the hand of God, the big picture. Even Christians, we may struggle with it at times. And sometimes, I say all the time, sometimes I like to zoom in on the Lord, and I'm studying one little aspect, and I'm thinking about the love of God, and you're just overwhelmed about it. And you're, for months, you're thinking about the love of God, okay? Sometimes it's good to zoom out. And take a look, big step back and look at the whole picture. What God's doing. The bigness of God. How he's in control. Where we are on the timeline and where we're going. You understand to see the big picture sometimes. 
But a lot of times people miss it. Now, a lot of y'all were living. Some of the younger people were not. On, the, on September 11, 2001, when our nation was attacked, World Trade Centers, the Pentagon, and so forth, I want to read a couple of things here. On the morning of September 11, 2001, there was a man that uh, worked for Compact Computers. His name was Joseph Lott. They were putting on a trade show in one of the towers that morning, and they were getting set up for it. And if he was staying in a hotel, a Marriott hotel, which was sandwiched between the two twin towers. This is early that morning. They're setting up for a trade show. And one of his friends had just gotten back from a trip and, and brought him a tie. This guy collected ties. Uh, this guy, Joseph Lott, he, was, he loved fancy new ties. And this guy brought him one. He says, I'm going to put that on and wear it for the trade show. And he says, well, it doesn't go with this shirt. I'm going to run back to my hotel room real quick and change shirts. So he runs back, and he's putting his shirt on, uh, changing it to rush back over. He had time. Suddenly he felt the build, building move. Now, he was spared. He was spared. 72 of his coworkers on the 102nd floor were not. Did this man ever realize, you know, we're talking about a king that can't sleep at night, but God's doing that to spare a whole nation of Hebrew people. Here he's got, this man wants to wear a different tie. I'm going to give you some more. These all have to do with the morning of, of uh, September 11th. The Yankees were, and Roger Clemens was pitching. He was going for his 20th win the night before on September 10th. And a lot of people decided they were going to be a little late the next day to work. And one guy, one guy, Roy Bell, he had an appointment with a client scheduled in the Twin Towers at 8.30. He thought he might be running a little late, so he, he moved it to 8.45. By the time he showed up for that meeting, the plane hit at exactly 8.46. And the building uh, came down and his co-workers were killed. There was another man, uh, Jared Cotts, who was setting up for the same trade show in, in one of the towers on the 102nd floor. And they had left a brochure that it, they wanted to show information for their business that they were promoting. He says, I'll run back to the, to the uh, hotel and get it. One little publication, one little pamphlet that he forgot. He said he was on the elevator and he felt something move. He was spared. His co-workers were not. There's story after story. There's one man that was uh, meeting a client early that morning, 8.30, David Crevet. And she, the client forgot something, a driver's license they had to have for whatever transaction they were doing. Normally, he would send his assistant down and get it for his client. But she was eight and a half months pregnant, so he says, I'll get it. You just, you're eight and a half months pregnant, I'll get it. He goes down, the plane's hit, his co-workers are killed. He is not. I have just a, a few more. One man was supposed, Nicholas Rayner, was supposed to board American Airlines Flight 11. That's the one leaving from Boston uh, that was headed to Los Angeles. But he twisted his ankle and he couldn't get to the airport in time. So what is he thinking? He's thinking, what a bummer. He's mad. 
He's aggravated. First, he hurt his ankle. Second, he missed his flight while he was hiking. God spared his life. He should have been on that plane that crashed. Spokesman Philip Smith, an army official for the Pentagon, he, he realized what the Lord had done. He says it was a miracle where that plane hit. You've seen the pictures of the Pentagon, right? It's five-sided. He said it hit in the strongest part of the Pentagon. If He says if it had hit in any other place, there would have been at least 5,000 people in every other section. He hit in the strongest place, and there was very few people there. If you remember, those of you that are old enough to remember, that that was a big deal, how few people were killed in the Pentagon. I mean, people were still died. Last one I'll read. There was, well, two more, actually. There was uh, Army Lieutenant Colonel Rob Grunwald was sitting in his conference in the Pentagon when American Flight 77 hit. He said it literally came, went underneath us. It was under our feet, whatever. He was on the 11th floor. It came in under their feet. People were panicking. People were screaming. The, the room filled with smoke instantly, and people bolted in. He says which direction they ended up going made the difference of life and death. They bolted out the door and took a right, everybody. He was about to bolt out, and he stayed to help a colleague, this woman, uh, Martha Carden, that was next to him, just one split second, he stayed to help her get out. And he, he got out, and he didn't know where everybody went. He went left. He and Martha Carden were spared. Everybody that turned right coming out of that hall died. And the last one is this. There was, we've probably heard about the story of, of Ladder 6, the, the fireman in the uh, Trade Center, led by Captain Jay Jonas, his crew of firefighters survived the collapse. They were in the building when it collapsed. They, he and his whole crew survived because at the last second, a split second, they're scurrying to get out of there. They stopped to help a woman named Josephine, Josephine Harris. They said, we're going to grab her. And when they grabbed her, it put them in a position when, the, when everything collapsed, they were all safe in this one spot. What's the point of all this? The point of all this is that our God orchestrates everything. And he wants us to know that. He, he wants us to know that he's in control. He is in charge. This man, Haman, was intending to destroy the whole Jewish people that were in, the, in Persia. 127 provinces, but nothing escapes our God. Nothing escapes his attention. Not one sparrow falls to the ground, Jesus says, without our Father taking notice. Another scripture in Luke says, not one of them is forgotten before God. Not one sparrow. How much will we think about a sparrow? It's on the earth right now. There's not one that falls to the ground that is forgotten by God that he is not completely aware of. He's in control of everything. Satan is powerful, but our God is all-powerful. Satan is mighty, and he is. He is supernatural. He's an angelic being, okay? But our God is almighty. Our God is perfect, and he's perfect in his knowledge, and he's perfect in his plans, stops it. He speaks and he fulfills his word and his will. 
and nothing stops it. Nothing slows it down. He speaks it, and he declares, and it stands fast, and he commands, and it stands still, and he says it, and he does it. And all these things clamoring to stop it from being that way that God said. All the enemies of God. I'm going to stop it from being like God said. And it's going, his truth is marching on, right? It's, he's going to finish it. He's going to fulfill it. Fire and hail, uh, snow and vapor, stormy winds fulfilling his will and his word. God uses vapor and stormy winds and hail and snow to fulfill his word. That's what the psalmist says in Psalm 148. He can use a storm. Let me tell you you can use. He can use, he can use his people. He, he can use saints and sinners if he chooses to. He can use a storm. He can use a donkey. He can use a Pharaoh. He can use his church. He can use a king having a sleepless night. I want to say this. I've always been impressed, and I don't mean in a good way, but just impressed by Adolf Hitler. We know how wicked he was, but what always strikes me, and the History Channel show a lot of Hitler. He's like just a unique uh, person in, in world history that stands out of all the, the villainous and wicked people. But one of the things about Hitler that always amazes me, to this day it amazes me, is how far he planned ahead. And the more I watch things on the History Channel, whatever, I'm like, man, in 1931 or whatever, he was already doing this. He was already planning this in 1933, you know, and wrote his book. And what's my point? You know, we got in the world on December 7th, and the war, December 8th, I guess you could say we got it, 1941. Years before that, there was already war in Europe, right, with Hitler. Years before that, he had already written his book, and, and he had plans. And guess what he had in the U.S.? He had people in the U.S. He had people in factories and munitions factories and in ports in New York City and in Los Angeles. He had people, his people, his spies, years before, that were well-respected members of the community and society. He had them in key positions that when the time came, that forethought is what is, is amazing to me, how far ahead he planned. Uh, and the stuff he was working on, agriculture. I mean, he was talking about redoing forests. He had the world on his maps divided up in these sectors and how it was going to be ruled. Uh, it's just all the, the forethought. We're thinking about what we're having for supper. Honestly, we're thinking, can we get through this week? Can I get my kids through this week and through their finals or whatever? And we're thinking about that. This man, in a wicked way, is planning years ahead. And I will say this, if it had not been for the grace of God, our Lord directly intervening, he would have ruled the world. Our God stepped in like those proud waves. He said to Hitler, hitherto you're going to go this far and no further. God stopped it, okay? But you still understand the point. You know, the Muslims are, are that way as well. We're thinking about the here and now and uh, what game's on tonight or whatever, uh, to, to hear that within the next 24 hours kind of thing, or maybe the week or a month, maybe. The Muslims are, uh, uh, move into an area, and part of their plan is to populate the area and take over. This is not conspiracy theory. This is their own agenda. This is what they do. In the, in the nation of Belgium, uh, they're planning by, I think, I forgot the date, so forgive me, like by 20, 
the year 2035 or something like that to be the, minor, the majority in the country. Belgium, a European country. Brussels is the capital of Belgium. There's over 30%, right now, over 30% Muslims. And it's just by them moving in. They have a plan, but they're not interested in what happens in the next five minutes. They're looking 20, 30 years down the road to accomplish their purposes. Now God's going to let it go so far, and their plans aren't going to be fulfilled. But you have to be impressed by their planning and forethought. What's the point of that? I'm amazed when Hitler plans 10 or 15 years ahead on how he's going to rule the world. And he's, he's actually f carrying out his plan, okay? But our God has planned and orchestrated eternity. Eternity. Jesus Christ coming to die for the sins of the world was not an afterthought that around, you know, 2,000 years ago, he says, I guess I'll send somebody to die for people's sins. What does the Bible say in Revelation? Jesus Christ was, is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That's some forethought, huh? That's some forethought. That's speaking and decreeing it and bringing it to pass. That is our God that we serve. Our God's in control. He's over all. He plans from the beginning of time, and his plans are being fulfilled. And guess what? I'm bringing this to a close, but these plans are being fulfilled perfectly. Perfectly. You know, we might have plans and we get 80% of them. We say, oh, well, it worked out pretty good. God, there's not one jot or tittle. And I know that's speaking of the law, but Jesus fulfilled every jot and tittle of the law. Our God is fulfilling everything. Everything. And it's coming to pass, and it's going to come to pass in his time, and it's going to all be completed. We see things incomplete right now. Do you know what the Bible says in Revelation? That there's going to be a day where Christ is all in all. You know there's going to come a day when the kingdoms of this world are, be are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. All these kingdoms that we speak of, they're going to be under his authority and his control. We see... Satan trying to destroy, like Haman. He would be like a little type of Antichrist. He wasn't the Antichrist, but you understand what I'm saying, a type of Antichrist. We say Satan trying to uh, steal Peter's faith. How do we know that? Jesus said, Peter, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat, but I'm praying for you that your faith fail not. And when you're converted, go strengthen your brethren. So he's already way ahead of Satan. He's going to tempt you. You're going to come through. And then when you come through, you're going to be stronger and you're going to be used to strengthen other people. Satan just says, I've got Peter. God's looking and laughing. He says, I got, I got Peter. And I got you. You understand what I'm saying? He's in control of these things. From Haman's point of view, and I'll bring this to a close. From Haman's point of view... He was just excited. I've got, he was rising in power in the kingdom. He was the king's favorite at the time. He had the plans in place to destroy the Jewish people and get rid of his, his man Mordecai that he, he despised. From the Jews' point of view, it says everywhere where the decree was heard, there was, there was weeping and fasting and wailing, and people were perplexed, and they were afraid. So Haman's point of view... 
Jewish point of view. They're scared to death from God's point of view. He says, I got this under control. Guess what? I'm not going to let the king sleep tonight. This is going to be part of my, and I'm not going to let Queen Vashti show up for the beauty contest when the king wants to show her off. I'm going to put Esther as the queen. And he's going to hold out that royal golden scepter. And she's going to come in and touch the top of it and beseech God and, and, and the king on behalf of her people. You know what the Bible says about Haman? It says, so they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. It makes me want to jump up and down. I mean, think about it. Uh, that, that still, to, it just amazes me, it amazes me. I'm sorry, y'all, it does. But a whole nation is going to be destroyed in one day. They're little children, everybody. They have no power. They're not a military. It's just like the clock's ticking, and if we're just going to have to take it. They're going to kill us, and we're done. And there was no combating it. And God steps in and turns it around because the king's wife, that didn't even know, was Jewish. And he was gonna, she was going to find favor on beseeching the king for her people. And they were all going to be spared. And guess what? Haman, come here. See that gallows you made for, for Mordecai? Soldiers, hang him on that. Is that not a complete 180 for what is looking like this? It's as sure as can be. They're going to be destroyed. And to turn that thing around and get it going completely the other direction. That's our God. He's the same today, and he is bringing his plans to pass. You know what Joseph told his brothers when he saw them after, the, after the, uh, you know, they met each other again in Egypt after all those years? He says, you, you meant it for evil. You meant that for evil. That's what Satan means. He means it for evil, okay? You meant it for evil, but, but God has sent me. God meant it for good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. God is so far ahead of the devil in his plans and in his power to, to bring his plans to pass. And his plans are for good and Satan's plans are for evil. Amen. I'm glad I know the Lord. We know that all things work together for good to those that love the Lord and those that have thee called according to his purpose. All things. All things, all things work together for good to those that love the Lord and those that are thee called according to his purpose. Y'all stand with me. As I was writing this and preparing this and praying, it was as though the Lord was saying to me when I read about the king not sleeping that night, it's like the Lord was saying to me, Randy, you think I'm not in control? You think I'm really not in control? I woke the king up. He couldn't sleep that night to put a thought in that man's mind. Same king that signed the decree to kill all the Jews, was gonna, I'm going to use him to turn around and spare them all and hang Haman on, a, on his gallows. You think I'm not in control? You think I don't have things under control? God is saying that to you and me. You're waiting for a spouse. You're waiting for a job. You're waiting for some family members to be reconciled. You're waiting for some family members to be saved. You're waiting for a sickness to be healed. You think God's not in control? You think he doesn't have it and have you in his hands? He does. He does. He's got you in his hands. He's going to orchestrate, and he is the master orchestrator to orchestrate things according to his will.
Dee, you can play. I'm just going to read this three verses in this psalm as we close this morning. Altars are open if you want to come. I think God would have us to just worship him and thank him. He's in control. You keep your eyes on Jesus. You don't have to figure it all out. You don't have to figure out how to get from here to there. He'll get you from here to there. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He'll get you there. Just trust him. Don't doubt. Don't believe that he's not in control. David said, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name. Give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, where is now your God? Listen, but our God is in heaven. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. That's our God. The enemies say, there's nobody helping those Christians. There's nobody standing up for Christians in America. You know, there's a bunch of buffoons in the pulpit, that, a lot of them that don't preach the truth. And, and, and where, where's who? nobody's standing up for God. We're just squashing God out of the society like a bug. Where's their God? You think that Kim Jong-un is probably saying, where's the God of these Christians over here? I got them. They, they, there's no help for them. Our God is in heaven. He had done whatsoever he had pleased. He's still in control. Amen? He's going to bring it to pass. Father, we come before you this morning. God, I want to thank you that you are in control. Our God sits on his throne rightfully, legally. You're reigning over the creation that you created. Fire and hail and snow and vapor and stormy wind fulfilling your word. You're bringing things out as you have decreed them to be, as you will them to be. They are coming to pass. They will come to pass. Your will will not be stopped. Your kingdom has no end. And Lord God, we're thankful that we're part of your kingdom. We're thankful that we're children of the Most High God. Satan is strong, but you're almighty. And I thank you, God, for every person in this room, Lord, that is struggling with something. Something doesn't seem right, or they're waiting, and it seems like the prayer is not going to be answered. God, you're, you are orchestrating things in their lives, in all of our lives, in such a way that it is for our good and for your glory for our good and for your glory. You do work all things together for good for those that love the Lord and those that are called according to your purpose. We love you. In Jesus' name, thank you, God.